Welcome to Reconciled Church Miami, Pastor Aldo Leon. Um, all right, so the last message we did from Genesis was about what it means to be a church community in a fallen world. What does it mean for us to be a people of faith in a world that is fallen? Okay, now I'm going to read our verses before us today. This is a Cain and Abel story, very famous story, murder, very exciting, kids, you know, I don't know. Um, you guys like... Uh, Hollywood stuff. So listen, I'm going to read the verses that we're going to be going through today. Adam, this is chapter 4, was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. Then she also gave birth to his brother Abel. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flocks and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but he did not have regard for Cain and his offering. Cain was furious, and he looked despondent. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you furious? And why do you look despondent? If you do what is right, won't you be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Cain said to his brother Abel, let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. And the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? Then he said, what have you done? Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. So now you are cursed Alienated from the ground that opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood that you have shed. If you work the ground, it will never again give you its yield. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. But Cain answered the Lord, my punishment is too great to bear. Since you are banishing me from the soil and I must hide myself from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth, whoever finds me will kill me. Boo hoo hoo. You just killed your brother. That's what happens. Anyway, then the Lord replied to them, in that case, whoever kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. And he placed a mark on Cain so that whoever found him would not kill him. Then Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in Nod, east of Eden. So if you guys remember in Genesis chapter 3, the promise of the gospel, God says, I will make hostility between your seed and her seed. So basically, people of faith that come from Eve, there'll be two kinds of people that come from Eve. People that believe in the promise of the gospel and people that don't. And God says in Genesis 3 that there's going to be a conflict between these two groups of people. So what we have here is a first story about how the people of Christ, the people who believe in Christ's promises, go to war and have issues with the people of works and the people who are of the devil. You say, is that, a, that sounds like a really offensive kind of separation, but really that's what Scripture is showing us. There's two kinds of people. The people of promise, the church who believes in the Christ, and the people of the devil who basically believe in themselves. And we see a, this is a first story about how these two communities kind of clash. And guys, it's very important for us to see this from the very beginning of Scripture 
Because we tend to have this idea in the church like this. Have you ever heard this statement like, I don't want to really like focus on what's wrong and what's incorrect. I just want to focus on what's true. Have you heard that? Well, that's not biblical. In order for you to know what's false, you must, in order for you to know what's true, you must be very clear about what is false. In order for you to know what's, what's false, you must be very clear about what is true. And so this story gives us a clear picture of what it means to be a part of God's promised community who trusts in the Jesus and those who are part of the satanic community who basically trust in themselves. So what, as, as you listen to these, to, to me walk these verses, think about this. Who are we as a community of faith? And who is the other side? What do we need to be worried, warned about and be aware of in the opposite community? And lastly, what traces can we see of ourselves in the, op, the uh, community of the devil? Because I think as we, as we walk through the contrast of Christ's community, the promised community, and the devil's people, we can see a lot of the devil in us still. So look, first main idea I want to tell you is what does it mean to be a part of the community of Christ, the community of promise? What is the true church? And here's the first way I unpack that. The first way we unpack what it means to be a part of the community of promise, the community of Christ, is that their hope is in someone, not themselves. Their hope is in someone, not themselves. Verse 4 says, Adam was intimate with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. And she said, I have had a male child with the Lord's help. Now listen to this. That translation is not saying what Eve is saying clear enough. When Eve has Cain, you know what she really says? I have had a child who is Yahweh. That's what it says in the Hebrew. Basically what she's saying is, my child is God. And you'd be like, why would she say that? Because she just heard the promise of the Messiah in chapter 3. And no one ever believed in a Savior who was just a man. If the Old Testament saints believed in the same Christ that we believe, they were looking forward to someone who was fully God and fully man. So she has, she heard this promise of a coming Savior, and she has her first child, and she's like, this is the Messiah. Now, she was wrong, obviously. Cain was not the Messiah. But the whole point of me saying that is that these people were living lives anticipating and looking forward a coming redeemer. That's who they were as people. They were not people that trusted in their morality, in their abilities, in their kind of character. They were people that trusted mostly in the fact that a savior would come. That's who we are. Okay? To be a part of God's community, we're not people who mostly trust in our numbers. You know? Like how many people are at RCM Church? That does not matter. Why? Because we are people who trust what? We trust a someone who is a redeemer, not how many we are. We are also a broke church. But that doesn't matter in the sense because we don't trust in how much money we have and how much resources we have. But who are we? We trust in a very rich redeemer. That's who we are as a people. We are people who trust in a someone and not in themselves. You know, like, we're not, look, we're not guys when they get lost. You know, when guys, when they get lost, what do they do? You never ask anybody for help because you got it. That's not who we are as a people. We're ladies as a people. 
when ladies get lost, they begin to ask someone else for help. That's who we are. We don't trust in our ingenuity, our cleverness, how relevant we can make Christianity to Miami. That's not who we are. We're people who trust mostly in a coming Christ who has come. So we preach Christ and we exalt Christ because he is our hope, not how clever we are, not how relevant we are, not how, you know, relevant and whatever. We are someone who hopes in a someone, which is why Peter, when Peter confesses, when uh, Jesus asked Peter in Matthew 16, he says, uh, who, who am I? And Peter says, you are Christ, the son of the living God. And then Jesus says to Peter, you are Peter, and I tell you, on this rock, I will build my church. So basically, Peter said, God's, Jesus says to Peter, um, your confession of who I am is what I will build the church on. We are people who are someone who hope in someone, not themselves. And we see that from Genesis 4. Not the Apostle Paul in Romans 4. So what else can we say about the community of Christ, the community of promise? Secondly, their worship is prescribed, not invented. Look at it says in verse 3. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. And Abel presented an offering, some of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. The Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So Cain brings his stuff that he makes in the field, and Abel brings, what, a sacrifice. What did we learn in our last sermon? What, how, do, how do God's people have to worship God from the beginning? God slaughters an animal and covers them in, in the skins of an animal, and he, that basically sets a precedent for how God's people always had to worship him through a sacrifice that pointed to Christ. And after this, everyone in, the, in Genesis folk worships Christ through a sacrifice. Noah does, Abraham does, and all his kids. The only person we have worship God outside of sacrifice in the whole book of Genesis is Cain. You know why? Because he invented his own religion. That was his issue. You know, but guys, we, the way we worship in this church, is, it's not like this. You know, like when, you're, when, when you uh, play with your kids and you bring them into the room and you say, hey, what do you want to play with? Play whatever you want. That's not how it's like. It's more like at the dinner table. Where you're like, this is what we're eating. This is what you must eat. And this is how you will eat it. It is like a non-negotiable thing. And so guys, the reason why we gather here to hear the gospel preach and the gospel made visible to the Lord's table and we don't gather here to learn how to be better is because that's what God has told us to do as his people. The reason we don't gather here to fall on the floor and run around in fits and have these just weird things is because God has told us, when you gather, I want you to celebrate the gospel, the power of Christ crucified in your hearts and have your minds renewed in the power of the gospel, not walk around like freaking chimpanzees because this is my church and you do what I say. Now, it sounds... Man, it sounds very mean, but look, I just, this is how it is. We don't gather here to, you know, tell stories and hear jokes and, and, and watch dramas. Why? Because God has said, you guys get together, and I want you to talk about my son's achievements and how that changes everything. And that's what you do as you gather. You do what I tell you to do. We don't gather here 
You notice how every time you guys we gather here, what do we do? We open the text of Scripture, we read the text of Scripture, we explain the text of Scripture. We don't get together to basically talk about popular topics and then just kind of cite the Bible because it's convenient to our topic. We come here every single Sunday to hear what God's infallible gospel word has to say to us, not, hey, what's really popular in society about, you know, whatever, because this is his church, and we worship God in his way. And God commanded that we would come before him by sacrifice from the beginning, and now we don't need sacrifices because the sacrifice of Christ has been accomplished, and now it's been Declared in his word, and now we read and proclaim it. So we're a people who gather based upon what God has told us we should do, not what we would want to do. Uh, You know, like, have you ever heard people say things like, hey, we should go around the community and ask them, like, what kind of church they would want? Yeah, we should. And then we should do the exact opposite. Because this is not about what people want. What does God want? And God has always wanted his people to come before him through the blood of Christ, whether pointing forward to it or looking back to it. So I got really carried away there. Um, Next point. What does it mean for us to be a community of promise, a community of Christ? We approach as sinners, not winners. We approach as sinners, not winners. And Abel presented an offering. Some of the firstborn flat and their portions. So basically, <laughs> Abel comes before God with a sacrifice, meaning that he's a sinner who needs to be slaughtered and he needs a sacrifice to come before God. You know, like how it is in a pep rally? What happens in a pep rally? Everyone's like, hey, you're great. Hey, you're awesome. Hey, you can do it. Like, that's kind of like the dynamic, but the courtroom dynamic's a little different. When people come into a courtroom and you have, you guilty, you don't need someone to tell you, great. You need someone to tell you you're forgiven, you're pardoned, right? Beloved, that's who we are. We don't come to church to basically, like, hear about how great we could be and how great we are and have our self-esteem boosted. We don't come here for any other reason than to say that we are sinners who are in absolute and desperate need every single moment of our lives for Christ to rescue us by a sacrifice. That's who we are. I remember I went to a church one time where this is, let me summarize the service. We're cool and the world sucks. All oh, the world, and they're all, you know, and, and, and all the things that they like are about, you know, and oh, isn't it good that we're godly? That's not the church. We're the only people in the world that come together and say we are ungodly and we need Christ. That's who we are. We approach as sinners, not winners. And it changes everything. Uh, I remember I used to play basketball on the high school team. And you know how I played basketball as a high school team? I played basketball as a winner. And you know, how, you know what happened when I played basketball as a winner? Man, I would be ugly on the court. I would be ugly afterwards when I would lost. I'd be miserable and like, you know, like all these excuses. But when I played basketball, now it's different. I don't play as a, I don't play as a winner. I play as a loser. You know, when I play basketball, I, I just, I'm like getting old and out of shape and I'm just excited to like exercise. I'm still playing ball, but it's different. 
okay? And you know what? When I play ball that way, I'm nicer to play with. But Paul was here, he said, no, you're not. And afterwards, why? Because I'm playing the game not as a winner but a loser. Beloved, that's how it is. When we realize that we're sinners and need Christ, we play the game of Christianity difference. We're more loving, we're more gracious, we're more patient because we're playing the game rightly. You say, man, that sounds so unencouraging. Well, it is. It's encouraging in Christ, discouraging in yourself. Uh, next point, we are a people, actually, and you know what? Yeah, we are a people of rescue, not assistance. So we're come as losers we come as sinners, not winners. We are people of rescue, not assistance. And I say, that, I say that point from the same text. Abel comes to God with a sacrifice. And it's kind of like the difference between, you know, someone who goes to the ER and they're dying. They go to the ER for rescue. When you go to the, the, the mini clinic, the CVS clinic, what do you go there for? Give me some, give me some assistance. Beloved, you know what we come here for? We don't come here for advice on how to be better, better people. We don't come here for tips on how to, like, you know, be the best you. We don't come here to know, you know, all these things about how to fix all these issues. Like, we come here because we need rescue. Like every moment and every day and every second, I need someone to tell me that there is someone big enough to live my life and die my death and be raised for me because you know what? I need rescue. Stop telling me all these ways that I can like be the best me. I don't need the best me. I need a better me, a better Adam, a sacrifice, a rescuer, and his name is Jesus Christ. So we come here to, as, to, for rescue, not assistance. I'll say a few more things. We come here to receive our replacement, not offer ourselves. We come here to receive our replacement, not offer ourselves. And I get that from the same verse. Abel comes in with a sacrifice offering saying, this is my replacement. Obviously, no one was ever saved by an animal offering, but the animal offering pointed to Christ. So Abel comes in and says, I need a replacement. And Cain comes in and he says, yeah, I got something for you, God. Look at my work fruits, so to speak. Um, so here's, here's a picture that may help. The first is you go to a job interview. And in the job interview, um, you, you see a job and you see the credentials for it. And you think, you know what? I'm going to go to this job interview and I'm going to uh, bring my resume in and show them the best I have because I think I can do it. That's the first scenario. Second scenario is you see, a, you see a job, you see job qualifications, and you're like, that's not me, okay? So you come to the interview with someone else and say, hey, here's your guy, okay? Beloved, the second guy, that's Christian worship. We enter into this place saying that. I can't offer something. I don't have the credentials to be here. But you know what? Christ has that. And so I'm here bringing Christ to the scenario, bringing Christ to worship, bringing Christ to the Lord's table, not me, because I, you know, that's what the church is. We're people who present somebody else credibility to God, not our credibility to him. 
You know, like, you know, people say, like, man, like, Christians, like, you know, you're a bunch of, like, hypocrites, and you're, like, sinful, and, like, you're just mean. You know how people say that? What do you typically say? You try to find some way to be defensive. But you know what the Christian answer is? Bingo, you're right. But we come here boasting in the fact that we have a replacement. I've been replaced by a righteous man who's Christ. I've been covered by his blood, and that's what I present to the world, not me. So why don't you come join the rest of the hypocrites, because you won too. Now, beloved, I'm not saying that we're not changed practically, but I'm saying that before God, we present somebody else as our substitute. That's who we are as a people. And that makes us much more winsome, much more loving, much more evangelistic, much more of a disciple maker. We're too busy defending our righteousness and presenting our resumes. We're so busy doing that that we can't even get over ourselves to even love people. But when we get over ourselves and we have a sacrifice, a substitute, someone who replaces us, we can actually do the work of ministry. So last thing I'll say, they are those who are approved by faith, not their works. Listen, the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. So the way it's structured is very intentional. He had regard for Abel and his offering. Why did God have regard for Abel first, his offering second? Because Abel was a man of faith. And so as he did what he did from faith, his offering was accepted. God did not have regard for Cain and his offering because what he did as a man was not from faith. So listen, it's almost like this, guys. You know, you know how um, when you're in the doghouse with your wives, and if you're not married, just say with your mom or say with your sister or whatever. It doesn't matter what good you do. Does it matter what, at, that, at that point? When you're in the doghouse and you like, you know, come with, they hate what you do when you're in the doghouse, no matter how nice it is. Why? Because you don't have a position of favor for, with them. You need a position of favor for you to do nice things that matter. If you're in the doghouse, olvídate. Forget it. Okay? But, you know, here's another picture that may be helpful. Kids is different. Kids are different. My kids do things that are not very impressive. They do things that are not very spectacular. But, you know, I accept them. Why? Because they have a position of favor with me as my children. So, beloved, listen, listen. The reason why we can present to God our imperfect works that are not good enough to merit anything, and God actually receives them and approves of them is because we've been made right with God and we have a status of favor by faith. And because we are already right by faith, then what we do is acceptable to God. But if you don't have faith in Christ, nothing you do matters. Which is why there's things in Scripture like Romans 14 says, Everything that's not from faith is sin. Basically, everything you do from your own strength and your own righteousness not from gospel faith is sin. Or Hebrews eleven six says, without, without, without faith, it's impossible to please God. So if you're trusting in Christ's work for you, the smallest thing you do is God glorifying. Like give a cup of cold water to a brother in need, Jesus says. If you're looking to yourself and your morality and your achievements, the biggest thing you do is sinful before God. 
Why? Because it's not from faith. Nothing you do outside of faith does not matter. Which is why you have these, you know, Paul says, what does Paul say in, uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 13? If I were to give my body to be burned and don't have love, it's nothing. So love comes from faith. There you go. You see the connection. Um, so basically, you can like die a death to save someone's life, and it's not, if it's not being done by gospel faith, it doesn't matter. So we are people, beloved, who um, do what we do because of who we believe in, and that's what makes what we do significant, not what we do and how well we do it and how great we do it. It's who we trust in as we do it. You follow me? Um, so, all right, community of Christ, community of promise, that's the first Nice picture. Here's the second picture. The opposite community. The community of the serpent, the community of works. So how can we describe the devil's community? And I think as we describe the devil's community, you guys are going to be very surprised. You think I'm going to, you, you kids maybe think I'm going to like, you know, bring a pitchfork out here and talk about like some guy who like looks like, you know, like a Hollywood character, but it's going to be very different than what we would expect. First thing, here is what they look like. Their rebellion, how they rebel, is in their religious morality. Cain, notice, Cain brought an offering to the Lord. He's a religious man, okay? He's a religious guy who does religious things. And so we typically think, you know what? The people who are against God, they're probably not moral people, nice people, religious people. But what we see here is the first guy who represents Satan's crew is a religious guy who does religious things. Here's a text that may help. Second uh, Corinthians. Where am I at? Where am I at? Find it, find it, find it. There's, there's words everywhere. Okay. Second Corinthians 11, so I'll listen to this. But I will continue to do what I'm doing in order to deny the, the opportunity of those who want an opportunity to be regarded just as our equals and what they boast about. For such people are false apostles, deceitful workers. They disguise themselves as apostles of Christ. And listen, and no wonder, for Satan disguised himself as an angel of light. So it's no great thing if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. So what is it? What, what are they? This, this, let, me, let me summarize what the community of the devil does. They're religious, they're moral, they're ethical, and they're good people apart from Christ. They basically seek to be good people, godly people, you know, inspirational people, committed people outside of the person and work of Christ. And I think that's very important for us to think about because I don't know, I don't know what it is with, with people in Miami. We think that if someone's religious, then, they're, they're, then that's fine. You know? You know what I'm talking about? Like, oh, look, they have a Bible there. And oh look, you know, like they you know, like they, they say they're Christians, and oh look, they're telling people to do that's satanic if it's not being defined by the person and work of Christ. So you know why there's so much religion in Miami? It's because Satan prefers to be rebellious and have his rebellious clan and people through people being very religious. I heard this said one time uh, that if 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 a city had clean streets, no crime, no poverty, uh, no jails, and no one preached the gospel there, Satan would be very happy. He'd be very happy because their religion is outside of faith in Christ. 
So second thing about the serpent's community is they come to offer themselves not to receive. They come to offer themselves to receive. Now Abel became a shepherd of flocks, but Cain worked the ground. In the course of time, Cain presented some of the land's produce as an offering to the Lord. So you know, you know the person who, uh, you know the person who asks you a question, and then they just, then they just talk endlessly for thirty minutes. You know that person? Are you that person? They didn't ask you a question because they really wanted to hear from you, right? They asked you a question because they just wanted to ask you a question as an excuse to just talk about themselves for the next hour. This is the community of the devil. They come to worship, and they use worship not to exalt God and enjoy God and receive God, but they use worship as an opportunity to parade themselves around. So, you know, it's, it's like, rather than, here's what it looks like, rather than come to church, come to worship in order to receive and celebrate how great Christ is, everything in church is how great and how committed and how radical and how holy and how great we are. Guys, that's not our clan. You know, i give you an example of this. Here's a perfect example of this. In most churches, the Lord's table is gone. And you know, what, what, what is the Lord's table been replaced with? You come up there and you make this great profession and you offer your heart. And you, the, basically, this place is some place for people to make some radical, spontaneous, um, great, loving, sacrificing commitment. But it's not. We're, we're a people who come here to receive, but Cain's community is all about exalting themselves, promoting themselves, how God-centered I am, how loving I am, how humble I am. Look at me love my wife. Look at me serve in the church. It's all about them. And they use God-centeredness as an excuse to make themselves great. So, beloved, listen, listen, listen. If we... <laughs> If we are using Christianity and the Holy Spirit and the gospel to basically just flaunt ourselves around, that's not our team. That's, that's the wrong team. And I think we need to be honest about that. Our team is a team that worships like this, worthy as a lamb who was slain to receive power, riches, honor, glory, and blessing. We don't come here to offer ourselves. We come here to receive and exalt in Christ offered for us. And you know what, guys, you know what happens when a community is all about their, their morality and what they offer? You know what happens? What does Cain do? He murders. Guys, you guys being, us being all about ourselves and how great we are, it doesn't make us better. It makes us worse. It makes us hateful, bitter, spiteful, vindictive, potentially murderous people. So they come to offer themselves, not receive. But they also seek to do good works apart from faith. They seek to do good works apart from faith. So God, uh, Cain is doing this great thing, but he's not doing it by faith, which is why it says God did not have resort. We was, um, he did not uh, accept Cain and his offering. Why? Because Cain was not a believing guy. He was not a trusting guy. And so listen, listen. I'm going to go back to that picture. Um, if you have failed your wife and she's angry with you and you don't have a favor status with you, it doesn't matter what you do. It's always going to be bad. Why? Because you're not doing it from the right status of favor. Okay? 
So listen, us doing things for God because we feel guilty is not us. That's the devil's communion. Us doing the right things because we don't want to not look bad, you know, that's not us. That's the other side. Or here's another one. I remember I was at a church that it said like, it was like this. You need to do good works because if you don't do good works, then you're not truly a Christian because all Christians who have been changed by the gospel do good works. So you must do good works to prove yourself to be a Christian. You know what that is? That's saying I'm going to do the right thing so I can feel good about myself that I'm not going to hell. That's selfishness at best. That's not us. That's them. Let me, in some selfish way, make sure I'm good enough so I know, like, at the end of the road, like, I'm not going to go to a bad place. Or us being godly and biblical because we want something for ourselves, you know, kind of like people who are nice to you because, you know, they want something from you. That's not us. That's the other side. That's the flip side. So listen. The fault, the smallest things that we do in faith are God glorifying, and the greatest things that we do in ourselves is bad. And so they seek to do things that are good outside of faith. But what else can we say about this community so we know them, understand them, and see it in ourselves as, as we see it? They don't want to be pursued or known. They don't want to be pursued or known. Listen. So Cain, Cain is sinning, and God says this. The Lord said to Cain, why are you furious, and why do you look despondent? If you do what's right, won't you be accepted? But if you don't do what is right, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must rule over it. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, "I am I my brother's guardian? So Cain sins, and God starts pursuing him, and Cain doesn't like that very much. You notice that? He's making a lot of like, you know, not very, yeah, whatever. Uh-huh, who's that? Um, have you ever met the person who uh, loves to counsel and help people, but he hates being counseled and helping? You ever met that person? Just, man, like, oh, man, any issue you have, like, I'm just here to just walk with you and help you. And, like, man, they're so excited, but they're never excited to be on the other end. Beloved, that's the communion of the devil. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, you guys go land and sea across the world to make a convert, a, a convert, and when you convert them, you make them twice the son of hell as you. They love to be the people that just needed counsel and help and correction, but they could not be corrected, which is why they killed Christ when he said, you guys need to be rescued. So listen, listen. Um, they, the community that always wants to be pursued, always wants, that always wants to pursue people but not pursue, always wants, always wants to help people but not be helped, that's not us. You know who we are? You know who you are as people? You are people who say, I need to be pursued, I need to be corrected, I need to be challenged. That's who I am as a Christian. And the people that say, you know what, I, I, I'm, I'm all about being godly and pursuing holiness, but I don't want to be corrected, pursued, and challenged, and be needy. That's not us. You guys spend, we spend way too much time trying to not be in need of pursuit. When that's not even, that's not even us. That's them. 
other side, other team, you know what I'm saying? You know, you know what's interesting? Uh, you hear like a lot of young men say, I feel called. I feel called to ministry. I feel called to serve. I feel called to lead. If you ain't called to be pursued as a sinner who needs Christ, you ain't called to nothing. Is that fair to say in light of this text? We're called to be pursued, confronted, corrected, and need Christ. And the other side is basically not. So they, they don't want to be pursued or known. They deal with sin with the law and not the gospel. They deal with their sin with the law and not the gospel. Listen, verse 6 says, Why are you so furious and why do you look so despondent? If you do right, if you make the right sacrifice, Cain, you'll be accepted. But if you don't do what's right, so if you don't want to come to me by grace, here's the alternative. Sin is crouching at the door. You must rule over it. So you don't want my grace, then you deal with your sin in your own self. And you know what he does? Rather than hear that from God, it's like, you know what? I can't deal with my sin in myself. I got to use the right offering. He basically tries to deal with sin in his own strength. So he sees God saying, go master it. And he actually tries to do it. And what happens when he tries to master sin in himself is he kills his brother. So listen, listen. Here's an illustration that may help. My kids, when they spill things um, on the table, they have this great gift. And they, they start trying to clean it themselves, you know? And you know what happens when my kids try to clean the things themselves? It gets hard and it gets crusty. And all of a sudden, like, a little stain becomes like, like, like I don't know, like an archaeological footprint on the table. Like, now, like, you need, like, a, you know, like, like, archaeological chips to, like, get it off. What they need to do is stop trying to, in their strength, to clean that. But they need to say, I can't clean this. Parents, uh, mama, papa, can you please come over here um, with another substance and clean this for me? And beloved, that's, that's how the community of the devil is. Every solution to every issue is just some different form of law. Some different form of law. In some churches, it looks like this. You got a sin issue? You know what you got to do? You know, wear long dresses. Uh, you know, uh, don't drink alcohol. Like, don't watch TV. Like, uh, you know, don't um, not go to church 20 times a week. And like, you know, homeschool all your kids. And like, you know, like, that's how it looks in some churches. In other churches, it looks a little different. It's like, it's not law heavy, it's law light. It's like, hey, why don't you just recycle? Hey, why don't you go feed the poor? You know, that's your solution to your sin. Or, hey, why don't you just be you and believe in you? It's the same thing. It's just one is like law heavy and the other is law light. And so the devil's communities always want to deal with their sin issue by applying some sort of like self-help and directives and laws, and it just makes it worse, obviously. But who are we, beloved? That's not us. We don't need to go land and sea far and wide to figure out how we can get more laws or less laws to fix ourselves. We need the law to do what? The law is our tutor that points us to Christ. What does the law do? It tells me God's great. He deserves for me to love him and love my neighbor, and I'm not. And what's the solution? Christ is. I believe in Christ in my sin issue. I don't deal with it in myself. That's who we are. So... They, they, they deal with sin with, they deal with their sin issue by the law, not the gospel. They try to fix themselves, improve themselves with like, you know, just more rules or less rules. But you know what else they do? They create their own altars. They create their own altars. Cain said to his brother Abel, 
Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. So check this out. God says, if you're a sinner, it's okay. Um, I have a sacrifice for you to slaughter. And you know what Cain does? He says, I think I'd rather make my own altar, and I'll just slaughter Abel. They make their own altars. So you know what it looks like? And I'm, This is probably going to get into some of your kitchens, um, but it's okay. Um, when my hus- I-, I think I should be righteous in myself. So when my husband makes me feel bad, you know what I do? I slaughter him at the altar of me instead of run to Christ. I, I think that, um, you know, leaders do stuff like this. I think I'm righteous in myself, so I'm going to compromise the church and do unbiblical things to make me more popular, and I'm going to slaughter the lives of my people at the altar of me because I want to be righteous in myself rather than run to Christ. You want to be righteous in yourself, so when someone in this church does something to you, you want to slander their character, you want to slaughter their name at the altar of you to make atonement for your sin issue. You know, people want to be righteous in themselves, so they spend all their time in their careers and their jobs and their hobbies to make themselves feel great. And you know what happens? They slaughter their kids at the altar of you. We just... We, I say the community of Satan, they just, they, they don't have the altar of Christ to run through. And so what they do is they just make a tons of altars to make sacrifices to make themselves feel better because they don't have Christ to run to. You know, like, here's another thing that people do. Actually, I was talking to someone earlier. It's like, you know what? A lot of times while we're anxious, depressed, and bitter and sad, and we stay that way for a long time, you know why we do that? Because we think that if I, like, am anxious and sad and bitter and miserable long enough, if I do that, then maybe it will make satisfaction for my sins. Or, you know, you abuse your body. You, you, get, you, you get, you know, abuse your body with substances. Why? Because you think that if I inf- if, if, if I inflict enough pain and misery and bitterness on myself, maybe I'll be able to deal with my sin issue. You know what I did one time? This is crazy. Once, this is me as an unbeliever. I was, I keyed a teacher's car in Hollywood. I went to an alternative school in Hollywood. I keyed the car, and I was like, I wrote things I'm not going to say, you know. And I felt bad about it. Why? Because I'm, God wired a conscience till I feel guilt for sin. So I went home, and you know what I did? I didn't go and apologize to the guy. I keyed my own car. You may laugh at that, but you guys do that in different ways. I keyed my own car because I thought if I make satisfaction for this sin by doing this, I think it'll be better. And so Cain's community is always looking for some place to create their own altar, but we are people who, you know, First John 2, if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's a propitiation, the wrath-satisfying sacrifice for our sins. That's us. You know, there was an unbeliever that, that used to come here um, a lot, and I, I asked him, I was like, hey, what? 
what do you, you've been in a lot of churches, like, what do you, how do you, how do you feel about this church compared to, like, other churches you've been to? He's like, I feel like you guys seem to be, like, more focused on Christ being enough for you, and I feel like most churches I go to are more focused about how much they suck, um, and how they're not good enough, and how they need to fix it, and he kind of got it. He understood that, like, there's a lot of places where we try to make our own altars to kind of make ourselves feel better in ourselves, but that's not us. That's the other community. We are people who run and hide in the altar of Jesus Christ. So a few more things I want to say about Cain's community, the works community, the satanic community, is that their morality has nothing to do with people. Their morality has nothing to do with people. Listen, the Lord said to Cain, Where's your brother Abel? Like, you just killed him. I'm God. I know. I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's guardian? So listen, Cain was all zealous about making offerings to God, but he could care less about people. And that is really what characterizes the community of the serpent. It looks like this. I don't cuss. I don't drink. I don't party, um, but I could care less about hurting people in church. Um, I do my devotionals. I pray, and I pray for hours, you know, and, like, I have, like, three devotionals, and, like, I post them on Facebook. But you know nothing, you know nothing, you know nothing about being burdened for somebody around you who is needy. Looks like this. Yeah, I'm against homosexuality, and I'm against abortion, and I'm against this, but you know nothing at all about loving someone who is in those sins. That's Satan's community. Their morality is all about themselves and how they look and how they kind of pontificate their greatness, and they could care less about people. That's not us. That's not us. They love, they love the idea of working hard, but they don't know nothing about being generous to someone who is needy. They love public titles, public ministry, public platforms, but they have want nothing to do with loving people behind the scenes. You know what I'm talking about? That's the community of the devil. So their spirituality is all about them being more spiritual and more great. It has nothing to do with people. But, beloved, that's not us. Listen, let me read a text for you. 1 John 3. 1 John 3, not John 3. This is how we know we have come to know love. He laid down his life for us. We should also lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has this world's goods, listen to this. Let me take a sip before I read this. If anyone has this world's goods, um, okay, where am I at? If anyone has this world's goods and sees his brother in need but closes his eyes to his need, how can God's love reside in him? John's like, what? How, how is that possible? How, how, are you, how are you so spiritual? And how are you like so Christ-centered? And how, and, and how do you look at your brother who has an actual need and you don't care? How is that possible? John's like, I don't get it. Little brother, we must not love in word and speech, but in truth and action. So when we are all about being looking good and being good and being very spiritual, but that's not connected to being concerned for people, beloved, that's not our team. 
That's the other side. And I want to say one more thing about the serpent's crew, church, people, whatever you want to say, is that repentance is self-centered, not God-centered. Listen to me. Their repentance is self-centered, not God-centered. You say, why do you say that? But Cain answered the Lord. So God's giving Cain multiple opportunities for repentance. What did you do, Cain? Where's your brother, Cain? And the first time that the guy has grief is when he is told about his punishment. So look what Cain says. My punishment is too great to bear. Since you're banishing me today from the soil, and I must hide myself from your presence and become a restless wanderer on the earth, whoever finds me will kill me. So listen, you know how the tendency to be sorry for our sins because they cause a lot of problems in our lives? That's not us. That's them. You know, like, oh, I'm so sad. Why am I so sad? Because I'm not as successful as I want. You know, my life is just really hard. And like, you know, that's why I feel sad. Beloved, that's not us. That's them. Or, you know, like the people that um, they, they feel, uh, you know, just really sad because their sinful decisions that they've made is they're going to potentially lose something. You know, like I'm going to lose my wife for my selfishness. I'm going to lose my job for like my sinfulness. And that's why I'm sad, beloved. That's not us. That's the other side. What does us look like? You remember when Dave, David uh, sinned against Bathsheba in Psalm 51, we have repentance? What does he say? Against you and you alone have I sinned and done evil in your sight. We who are people that belong to Christ, we repent and we feel guilt and grief because we've offended God. God who is so good and so amazing and so lovely, not because consequences of sin are really uncomfortable. That's not us. Our repentance is God-centered. Cain and his crew and everyone who has followed is all self-centered. So I'm going to skip the last point and go to the conclusion. So listen. (laughs) Have you guys noticed a lot of yourselves in Cain's community? Okay, good. If you would have said no, I would have like I would have like thrown this water bottle out in the stands. I wouldn't have hit somebody. I just would have like it would have over there, you know. No, I wouldn't have. So, what's our hope? What is our hope when we see who our community is? Abel represents our community of faith. And we see the other community of works and self-righteousness and religiosity. And we see a lot of us in that. What's our hope? And I think there's something else about this story that I need to bring out. And that because Abel is an important figure in the Bible, he shows us something about what it means to believe. But he also shows us something that is about somebody else. So Moses is a guy who's a sinner. But Moses points us to a greater Moses. Abraham's a guy who's a sinner, a man of faith, but he points us to a greater Abraham. And same way, the Cain and Abel story points us to a much greater martyr who's righteous and dies at the hands of sinful men. Uh, Abel points us to the greater Abel who is Christ. And Cain is really all about us. And you know what's interesting about, about Abel's name? It means worthless. So when, <laughs> man, that's kind of messed up. His parents named him 
worthless, vain, empty. But the reason why that's there, I think, is not just to show that her parents were not very excited about their second child, but it's to teach us something about Christ, our greater able. And that, you know, our hope as people who act like Cain a lot is that our greater able was great and exalted in heaven, but he emptied himself and came down and became like one of us. And just like, you know, just like, you know, the, Abel was somebody who died innocently. Our Christ, who is truly innocent and who truly lived a righteous life, he lived a righteous life that is enough to save us in our Cain activities. And, and, and you know, Cain, Abel's blood cried from the ground our condemnation. So your, your brother's blood cries from the ground that you're guilty. But our greater Abel's blood cries before the heavenly father that they are forgiven in their wretchedness, that they are reconciled in their sins, that they are ransomed from their rebellion, that they are propitiated and God's wrath is satisfied. Our Abel's blood cries something way greater than Abel's blood. That's the whole point of Hebrews, if you read the whole thing about Abel's blood in Hebrews. And we don't receive the mark of Cain, but we who are guilty and responsible for Christ dying, it was our sins that put him there. God marks us with a sign of forgiveness and grace so that we would not receive the vengeance of God Almighty because Abel has been slaughtered and been righteous for us, our greater Abel. Beloved, that's our hope in all this. So as you experience the guilt of acting very much like, like Cain, the solution is to run and hide in refuge in your much greater Abel who has a much better blood, a much better testimony, and a much better mark. But listen, listen. We need to understand very clearly what our side is, what we're about, what defines us, what moves us, what drives us, and what is its opposite. So that when we act like Cain in this church and we do Cain-like things, we can say, aha, that's not us. I need to run to Christ and embrace my new community that is not about those things. So our next message will be unpacking these two communities the community of faith, the community of works, the community of man, the community of God. We're going to keep unpacking this. But for today, let's just conclude with that's not us. This is who we are. And that means that Christ, our greater able, is our hope. And that's what energizes us to embrace who we are as a people and not be like the other side because it's not our side anymore. Amen? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for using every story to show us what a true community is, what your community is, and what your hope is, and what your rescue is. And Father, I pray that you would give us the humility and discernment to understand our Cain-like tendencies, our demonic-like propensities, that we would repent and run to Christ and hide in our true hope and embrace our true community. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. That concludes our message, and we hope that you were inspired by it.
If you'd like to hear more about the gospel or find out more about Reconciled Church Miami, please connect with us using one of the ways listed on our website, reconcilechurchmiami.org.